0: Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina.
1: Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amin, your host. My co-host, Rabina Chaudhry, is off today. Our show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Eldercare Advocacy. You can find the library for all of our episodes on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and can be downloaded on all popular podcast platforms. Please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. You can hear the short news tidbits of interest to seniors, their families, and the general public on my YouTube channel at Phyllis Amon Associates. Please go to my channel at Phyllis Amon Associates to like, share, and subscribe to hear senior news for today. I now have two courses, which you can find on my website at www.phyllisamonassociates.com. For those listeners feeling stressed, stretched, and overwhelmed, Resilience Toolbox Secrets will help you recharge, reset, and recommit as you face life's challenges. And family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information on my latest course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. My latest book, Dignity and Respect, Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve is now available on Amazon. And I'm proud to say it became a number one new release on Amazon one day after publication and is an international bestseller. It's available in both paperback and ebook formats. I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. I appreciate all of your support and hope you'll help spread the word on this all important topic. Senior Stray Talk now is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates, and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Stray Talk and Pass It On Network will continue bringing our listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. At this juncture, I also want to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a colleague and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. Now at this juncture, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. Lynn Beat gordon is a clinical social worker with a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master of social work degree from Boston University. Her social work experience spans more than 30 years and includes mental health, hospice, long-term care, and school social work. Focused on geriatrics, Lynn has served in the areas of administration, direct clinical practice, health education, and clinical supervision. She founded Gordon Social Work Consultants in 1997 to provide consultation and health education services for long-term care facilities, which includes training and in-services on a variety of topics for residents, families, and healthcare staff. She founded the National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners in 2001 with her co-founder, Sandra Simpson, and the International Council in 2015. As the Chief Operations Officer of NCCDP and ICCDP, Lynn continues to develop clinical curricula, provides consultation to facilities, and is a recognized instructor and speaker for agencies here in the United States and abroad. So Lynn, I'm so thrilled to have you here today on Senior Stray Talk. How are you doing? And I'm
2: excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Phyllis. This is great. I'm really happy to be here and uh, have a discussion today. Yeah, we
1: did this once before a long time ago when we were voices for elder care advocacy. So I thought it would be good to catch up because uh, you and I also have some initiatives coming up in the beginning of the year. And we we have had some recent initiatives. So I thought it would be great to reconnect and talk about some of the areas that NCCDP is forging ahead uh, into for for caregivers, for families, for professionals, because uh, it's really very valuable stuff. And especially at this time of year, when so many people have holiday blues. Absolutely. And here we are right upon the
2: holidays and we have extra blues this year, as we all know, because we're all living under what I call the COVID-19 umbrella. We've all been rained on and we're all trying to hover underneath for some shelter, some solace, some peace and safety. Um, So many concerns have happened for us since, you know, in the past, what, 10, 11 months for the year of 2020. Um, And here we are about to face the new year. And a lot of people are having a hard time just being refreshed and renewed to get ready for the new year because we've been through such a difficult time. Here we are upon the holidays, and most of us suffer, not most of us, but a lot of us suffer from what we call the holiday blues. Right. Holidays are a time to reflect. They're a time to look back and remember other holidays in our lives, but also the sadness of it, of what used to be and and how it's so different now. So when we look back at holidays, we do it with a little bit of uh, a bittersweetness. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you for myself personally, When I start to unpack my holiday decorations to get ready to decorate my home, I unpack the boxes to take out all the decorations. And I always think of who was here when I packed this box last year and who's not here with me now as I unpack it now. And I've had some significant losses this year. And a lot of people have been touched. We all are touched by losses every year. But this year was much more uh, impactful um, and compounded by COVID-19, of course. Mm. So this year, unpacking my decorations was a whole different kind of heavy heartedness and bittersweetness. And so here we are talking about these holiday blues. How do we get through them? We talk about the general things that we usually do, trying to do something different each year, to make each holiday new or refreshed Mm -hmm. or special, you know, adding a new tradition or Mm -hmm. putting a twist on an old tradition. We talk about those same things year after year, but now what do you do when we
1: are in what we would call pandemic fatigue? Mm. You know, can I just uh, interject something? Uh, When you said about uh, new traditions and, and pandemic fatigue and so many people are experiencing their holidays with loved ones via Zoom. I wonder if Zoom is going to be incorporated as one of the uh, holiday traditions now. Maybe people won't be traveling as much now that they find, you know what? We really don't have to be there in person. We can be there virtually in person and share a similar holiday experience. So that might even become part of the tradition, but uh, I know that you recently uh, had a course for people who are experiencing this pandemic fatigue and and what that means for people and how they can work through it. So yeah, why don't you, I think I interrupted you. So why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I hosted a course on December
2: 15th. It was a three hour program, of course, via Zoom, as you said, (laughs) and we had 75 participants Um, It was an awesome turnout, and really, it was professional caregivers that had logged in, most of them, and they were talking about how they are expected to still be energetic and giving and a rejuvenating source to their clients when they themselves feel low and slow and dark at times. Mm-hmm. So we talked about how do you build on your resilience? How do you hold on to it and maintain it? And what I talked about is our snapback factor. What's our snapback factor? If you were to take a rubber band and snap it, you know, if you are historically somebody who snaps right back and wakes up the next day after some awful stuff the first, you know, the day prior, you wake up and you're able to kind of let it go and move forward. But this pandemic does not allow us to let it go Mm -hmm. and just move forward, skipping and hopping like we used to, because every day we face new challenges, new fears, new restrictions. Some days we're happy because we hear of fewer restrictions and then just when we got used to that, more restrictions are applied. Right. So, how do we build or maintain our resilience? And that's what this workshop was about. So, we talked about pandemic fatigue, which most people had never heard of before because most of us in this lifetime have never experienced a <laughs> pandemic. So, and I talked about the fact that, you know, most people prepare for emergencies. When we have right. disasters, we prepare for them. We have fire drills, we have, even in schools, unfortunately, In schools, children practice for if there's even an active shooter in the building. We practice those things. But when have we ever had to practice for a virus that's just free floating in the air? We have not been in the practice of protecting ourselves. So everybody is new to this. So it's all trial by fire for everyone. So like I said, we're all under this umbrella trying to stay safe, Uh you know.
1: And yes, you want to? Jump in there. No, no, no. I, w- I was just uh, going to say uh, something that that struck me this morning when I was listening to the news. Mm-hmm. That uh, when you said about pandemic fatigue and just when we think things are better. And then they go back. And I myself this morning talking about feeling down. And when you're down, people can sense you're feeling down. I'm sure we've all had experiences where we get on the phone with somebody, not Zoom necessarily, but a phone call, and someone say, "Oh, are you okay?" Because that resonates from inside of you, and people can hear it in in your voice, even if you think you're not doing it. And so this morning. you know, we've been hearing about this vaccine and there have been people taking the vaccine and people being applauded and celebrating. And uh the, just this morning, I heard about these four mutated strains around the world. And just at that moment, I, it was that same thing you just referred to. Just when I thought, wow, you know, maybe by you know, early spring, this seems to be, we'll, we'll be getting out of this. And I, I felt happier about that. I don't want to say, a, you know, jubilant, but there was an, an uplifting. And then this morning, I heard this and I was like, Oh, my God, it's now what? So it's just what you just said.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, unfortunate, that's the reality of our times right mm-hmm. now. I call this the COVID era. Mm-hmm. You know, like we had the cholera era years ago. <laughs> this is the COVID era. And it, what I talked about in our program for building resilience was all these different things that we can do, things that we are no nonsense stuff that we've already known, but we kind of just go, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. But now we need to actually say, I need this for myself. Right. I need to build or maintain what resilience I have or ever had. So we, one of the things that we talked about and I thought was really smart technique We've always talked about having a daily mantra. You know, mm-hmm. people wake up with a daily mantra. And I used to say, I would call it in the olden days, you want to make it your screensaver on your computer. You want to put it on an index card on your refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And it might be a, a, a mantra that says, I am enough every day. Mm-hmm. Something like that. But now the twist on this is make it part of your passwords For all of your apps that you use, because we we have to log in every day and use a password. So make the password your mantra, because you have to log into your bank account for it. So it could be you don't have to type out all the words, or yeah, but just type out the acronym for it. So what is it? I am enough every day what's that I right. A E E D and you right. make that yeah, and maybe right. a little symbol or something because now they require us to have a little pound sign right. or an exclamation mark but make that so that you say it out loud every time you open an app and oh put in your password goodness. because we do we use passwords all day long and it's an easy way to remember it and it's nice to hear yourself saying something good about you to oh. you because people don't always say good things to you about you I always say the goodness about you comes from within you you can't go around looking for validation from others get up and say damn i'm fabulous
1: right so you have
2: to start out with your mantra and that's one way to keep hearing it and repeating it to yourself all day long i day love long.
1: that because i um, as i mentioned in the intro and i know you know and, and and we could talk about the course i'm going to do in january yes, yes. with NCCDP that uh I have I, I said that as part of my resilience toolbox secrets course to have mm-hmm. some kind of mantra. And also it's about being your own friend and think about the things mm. you say to your friend when they're feeling down, but now say them to yourself. And I have said to people, either put it in your phone, make a note to yourself, have a little signal. And every once in a while, say this, this phrase, put it in your note section or record it in your own voice and then when you get this signal this your own voice is telling you things that are positive about yourself yeah i love that idea it's
2: it's great and see that that can i can i talk about what you're going to do for us on january 13th oh sure i would love to talk about this okay so um we're having uh, at nccdp we're having a caregiver series because we realize our caregivers need some support like i said what's their bounce back factor how well can they snap back so here's a little bit of a uh, what i would call the trampoline to help keep us bouncing (laughs) so we're having this caregiver series the trampoline and we want caregivers to stay strong and well in order to provide support and guidance and light to their clients so Um, On January 13th, 2021, Eastern Standard Time, at noon, we have none other than Phyllis Amon, (laughs) who is going to be our presenter. She's going to present um, a series for us. Um, Her first episode will be that January 13th, and it is Resilience Toolbox Secrets. She's going to open up the the toolbox for us and reveal (laughs) some secrets. She's going to tell us how to live healthy, wealthy, and wise. By telling us basics that some people already know this stuff. But like I said before, yeah, you know it, but do you practice it? Right. You know, and so we're at that point where it's time to take out the toolbox and say, okay, I may have been talking these things to my clients and my colleagues all these years. But Phyllis is going to make you put it into action personally for yourself. She's going to open up the toolbox and she is going to talk to you about deep breathing. She's going to talk to you about, go ahead, Phyllis, tell us a little bit. (laughs) Tell us.
1: So uh, thanks a lot for that. Yeah. Deep breathing gratitude. Gratitude seems like such a simple thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Oprah Winfrey credits her gratitude journal for her, her success. And she actually used to, uh, I read one place where she used to open her curtains every morning. And when she did that became ritualistic, she would make gratitude statements, but actually physically writing it down, going from inside you through your hand. I mean, there are neurologic pathways that are reinforced through the writing process. And I myself started a gratitude journal several months ago. I think I've missed three days in the past few months. I do it before I go to bed. And even on days when I'm tired, uh, last night I came home from a friend's house. I think it was midnight. And I said, no, pick up that thing. I mean, listen, you had a great time at your friend's house. People think it has to be something fantastic or something special. No, listen, I went to my friend's house. I had a great time. hadn't seen her in a while. We had a lovely dinner, great conversation, uh, So part of it is gratitude, that's one aspect. Deep breathing is so important. And then there's one other I'll just talk about very briefly here. I call it positivity on demand. So how do you change your focus to when you're feeling down to look at the other side of that coin? Because every coin has two sides. It's not an easy thing to do and it takes practice. People say, oh, okay, just I'll just be positive. No, it, it really doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that you take into your being. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know, you just struck something, uh, a
2: chord when you, when you said that, how you have to practice positivity. Um, some years ago, I was teaching a, a program on forgiveness and I was talking about the fact that in some African cultures, the, the greeting amongst people is sabona, And sawbona literally means I see your light. And what I did was I used it in my workshop to talk about the fact that you you have to walk around and practice being positive. So even with strangers, smile and think positive thoughts. Even if you don't know them, even if they just came from doing something criminal, you don't know that. (laughs) Walk right by them in the mall and think, smile at them and think something positive like, I see your generosity. Right. I see your light. I see your kindness. I see your gentleness. And think those positive things all day long as you walk and just make eye contact with people. You're not saying it out loud to them. You're just practicing it for yourself. And you hear yourself saying those things all day long. And at the end of the day, you're filled because you've been hearing joyful, positive, reaffirming statements all day. And then taking this back to this, thinking about some of these African cultures that you saw I see you or I see your light think about this when they say that and even in childhood you say that all day long a child going to school all day long has adults greeting them saying I see your goodness I see your kindness I see your light when but at the end of the day that child can't help but be good you know and so you think about how you're building character not just in yourself But with others, when you actually say it out loud to them. So it's it's, pretty, and it it goes right into what you're talking about, seeing you know, that you have to think in positive ways. Even when you're in the grocery store and you're looking at that person has their mask on incorrectly and you know you're thinking out lo- you want to say it out loud, like, hey, do you mind sticking your nose back in that? And you don't. You just keep walking by and you think positivity. Wow, isn't this great that the place is open, that people are well enough to have my vegetables here for me today? Whatever it might be. Small things. Right. Small things. Just like having your asparagus available at old foods that day. That's a small thing. Be positive about it. I uh, agree. So We have to. You are so right. You have to practice positivity and different cultures have been doing that for years and I think that our, our culture, American culture, needs to e- e- hear about it more and practice it more.
1: It needs to be uplifted and elevated more and you're going to do that for us. Right and I will say when you say about practice, like like I said, it's just not something that people say. Oh, I'm going to be positive from now on. No, it's not that. Uh, it's just like saying, okay, I'm going to start my diet January first, and I'm going to start my exercise program. And uh, but it doesn't work that way. This is a a, a technique of, of when I when we say the word practice, it is because it takes practice, especially if this has not been your modus operandi up to now. It really takes concerted effort. Um I, a while ago, I, I used to listen to Louise Hay, who was a tremendous uh, person in this space, a, a social scientist and, and about positive psychology. And I'll never forget this one time I did exactly what it said. I said, wow, my goodness, this is crazy. Uh, this was quite a while ago. So she had this um, one statement that she would say, that you say, uh, I am beautiful and everybody loves me. Now that's it, it sounds like such an egocentric phrase. But she said, you will see, if you keep saying this, you will see that other people will smile at you. Other people will appreciate you. So I was driving in the car someplace and I decided to really do this thing, to really use this one expression. And I just kept saying it over and over. It felt funny at first because do I really feel that way about myself? No. And is everybody going to love you? No. Do I need everybody to love me? No. But that wasn't the exercise. So if anybody's thinking that when I'm saying, this maybe they can relate to that I just said it over and over and over again I forgot where I was going oh I do remember where I was going it was the holidays. It was uh, Jewish holidays, actually. And I went to this place and I got out of the car and there were all these people, even so I'm in my 60s, even people that were in their 20s, there was a, a, a young fellow there, somebody else, a, a middle-aged a man, another person. And and they were like, oh, wow, I love, yeah, I'm a redhead. I love the color of your hair. Oh, I love that outfit. You look great today. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this really was like a magnet. Uh, and she describes it that way. And so I really realized that the effectiveness of that. So it's just what you say. Now, people may think that it's hard to see something like that in somebody else. But like you said, it's a practice. It's everybody has some light inside of them. And people forget that. I think, don't you think that's probably true? They forget other people have some light. Doesn't even matter what it is; they have some light inside of them somewhere.
2: That's absolutely true. Um, even and people start to believe for themselves that they don't have any light, and they still do. Right, and it's true that. And and I think what's happened too is when we have, you know, a universal uh, pandemic happening, it for folks who are already feeling down, they're feeling that what little light they had, if any, has closed off, a lot of them because they've been living in isolation. So they really don't have hope right now. Like we, we, have, we mentioned how, you know, one day we hear new strides and then next day we're five feet backwards. Um, so it's, it's very difficult now. And it's true that a lot of people stop believing in themselves. They really have. And this pandemic has exacerbated that for a lot of people. And that's our hope is to turn that around, that people, the hope, the hope that people are listening and that people will start to really have a breakthrough and take some of the tools from your resilience toolbox and act on them and just start, you know, building their, their resilience again. It's so important. Right. And I really,
1: I I think you're right that some people have lost that. Yeah, I think that what will be important for people and anybody even listening to this recording um will will decide to make it a daily practice people think Mm -hmm. that it's not like you have to sit down necessarily and meditate for 60 minutes people are intimidated when they hear about resilience or some of these other practices or Mm -hmm. deep breathing they think it's like some scientific uh, well, it is based on science, but that they have to have some scientific knowledge in or- order to take it on. Anybody can do it, and you could start with two minutes a day. Those two minutes the benefit that you will get from those two minutes is many more minutes than those two minutes. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't yeah, you say? Yeah. It's Yes, absolutely, it's
2: exponential, totally. Mm. Very exponential, the the rewards or the benefits of it, absolutely. So that's why we're excited for you to present your toolbox on, can I just say it one more time? January 13th, uh, (laughs) 2021, 12 noon. It's going to be via Zoom. You can register at nccdp.org. Please tune in, please register for our Zoom session with Phyllis. She's going to take us through uh, January um, as well as February with a um, caregiving topic, another caregiving topic as well. So please stay tuned. You've got to see her. Uh, If you're already following this podcast, you already know she's marvelous. So please don't
1: miss out on this event. Thanks a lot for that plug, Lynn. I appreciate it. Well, you and I have known each other for quite some time. -hmm. We first Mm -hmm. met. uh, I'll just if people don't remember from before when we've when we've talked about this uh, because the last time we had a discussion on the podcast was quite some time ago. We met when I was hosting a television show on a public access television station in Connecticut, and I contacted NCCDP and asked for somebody to come uh, so I could have a discussion about dementia. It was about dementia, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you came and. I don't know, we were sitting before the we started, and in five minutes we just hit it off and knew we had so many of the same ideas and passions and insights, and we just continued to build from there. And I think that was um, I think this April maybe will be three years, maybe, I don't know, two or three years, right? Yeah I think yeah, two or three years. I'm not sure exactly, but yes. Mm-hmm. it's been a couple of years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was and, great.
1: And we did something interesting also. Uh, There was a a collaboration that you have with proaging.com. And I also did the kickoff webinar that was the collaboration between NCCDP and proaging. And that was on empathy versus empathy, which was about self care. So, empathy, being with and caring with others and for others, and then empathy for yourself, which is the basis of the resilience toolbox. But we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk, and we'll come back in a few minutes and continue this very lively conversation with Lynn Biot-Gordon. So listen in.
0: Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregiver's face. Visit all of cs.org for further information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk.
1: Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Lynn Beatt gordon We're having a really lively conversation. Uh, and during the break, Lynn, we were talking about the courses that the course that you, that you delivered from through MCCDP and the one that I'm going to do in January uh, for caregivers and many caregivers are caregiving for older adults, not all, but uh, many of them are. And so during the break, we were talking about the older adults and about ageism and how that factors into so many of our conversations, our language television commercials, print advertising. Uh, So I thought maybe it would be an interesting conversation to bring that to the, uh, to the podcast today, the conversation we were having during the break. Absolutely. I agree. I think, I think our
2: listeners want to hear about that um, because ageism affects all of us. You know, even when we're children, we're expected to act a certain age I have a nephew who's six years old, who's very tall. So people think he's supposed to act like he's 10, but he's six, <laughs> you know? So now let's bring, that up the, let's bring that up the rainbow a little bit. Let's right. go over the rainbow a little bit. And let's talk about how are we supposed to act? What is society expecting of us when we, are, we hit our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, et cetera, you right. know? And one of the things you and I have talked about is expectations, especially on women. You know right. what is the role of the aging woman? How is she supposed to walk, talk, think, act how color is her hair supposed to be right so we you know what length is her hair supposed to be? my sister this is so funny, um, and this is related to this this pandemic era that we 're in. my sister is seventy one actually she just turned seventy two and when the restrictions with the stores being open you know limited hours and limited capacity. The uh, grocery stores started opening up. I think an hour or two hours earlier in the morning for what they entitled folks that were seniors or had disabilities, so they could come in earlier into the grocery store to shop. So my sister called me one day and she said, "Oh my gosh, do you know that I can go to the grocery store now at 7:30 before it opens, so that I can do my shopping?" She said, "But they call me a senior citizen." She goes. When the heck did that happen? (laughs) And we laughed about it. She says, I've never called myself a senior citizen. She said, when did it happen? Really? When did it happen? And we started laughing. Now she's 72. She does not consider herself, quote unquote, a senior you know, and so we got into this whole conversation about when did that evolve. And she said, I don't know when it happened. She says, but I like the perks.
1: I like the benefits. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting that you say that because um two things came to mind when you when you brought that up. One is this one time I was at the grocery store near me, and there were shortages then of a variety of products, and mm-hmm. there were limitations on the food items that you could buy in certain areas, you could only buy two packages of meat or whatever it was. And there was one time I was there. And there was a person, they were checking. uh, They were checking driver's licenses for your date of birth, which I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm just I'm just letting you know. This is how what my age is. I'm 67, and I'm not showing you my driver's license. If you don't believe I'm 67, okay, forget, I'll come back later. Um, that was one thing. But there were people who were clearly under that that age mark, who were trying to sneak into the grocery store <laughs> during those hours because there were limitations on things that you could purchase, and they were concerned that they would go later in the day and the things that they were wa- wanted wouldn't be available. So there was probably one of the few times, except when you're in your teens, and, you know, there was a drinking age that was maybe eight twenty-one, And you you kind of were trying to fudge your ID so you could get into a, a club or a bar, or whatever. Not that I ever did that, Lynn, but I'm just saying. <laughs> it's probably one of the few times that there were people trying to become part of this senior age group. But the other thing I was thinking about this the other day, because I was asked to write an article and I, I don't want to talk about it uh, because it, it may come out in January. I'm very excited about that article, but, uh, It's another way of actually segregating the older population. It was meant with the best intentions. It were people who they, because they thought the virus, the older population was more vulnerable and people with underlying conditions. And uh, they wanted them to have advantages for shopping in less crowded spaces. And so they wanted to give them that opportunity. But in reality, It segregated the older population that much more and made people more aware that older adults are more vulnerable. And not all older adults consider themselves as vulnerable, Mm -hmm. weaker. Vulnerable means weak. It means frail. It means less than. So that's that's how I started to think about it. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, it's very interesting how you know when we mean to do good, we also promote certain stereotypes that are could could be perceived as negative, you know. Um, and it's true. And some people don't see themselves in that in those categories. Like my sister shouldn't consider herself a quote unquote senior, but yet she said, "Well, darn, I'll take the perk then." <laughs> the other night. Uh, The other night, uh, it was Christmas, Christmas evening. My mother is 93 years old, very, still very active woman and is a librarian um, just now forced into retirement because of uh, the pandemic, not really retiring because she was ready to. And my children said to her, how old do you feel? And she said, well, how old am I? And they said, well, you're 93. She said, well, I certainly don't feel 93. She said, you know, I can still run down the block. (laughs)
1: Right.
2: And it's it's a blessing. And I'm fortunate to have that situation. But you know, it's true. My mother, even in her 80s, was talking about older people saying, Oh, those poor old folks had to wait so long online. Like she talks about things at uh, like a wedding, for example, she's at a wedding. And she said, Oh, yeah, they decided to serve, you know, it was buffet. So they decided to serve all the elderly first. So they had them seated at, their, seated at their tables while other people went and fixed their place. When she said, I got up and got online. I looked at those poor old folks waiting for their food. And I'm like, wow, she was like 88 at the time calling them poor old folks. This you know? is
1: interesting because uh, I actually co-moderated a panel on ageism a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the members of the panel was Jeff Rubin, who wrote a book called Wisdom of Age. And he said he he's done presentations at places and he asks people how many people here know an old person and everybody raises their hand. And then he says, well, how many people here are old and nobody raised their hand? (laughs) These were all people 65 and above. Some mm-hmm. of them seventy-five and above. So it's true. It's about your perception of yourself. The first uh, episode of Voices for Elder Care Advocacy, before it uh, became Senior Straight Talk, we had um, Paul Irving, who's the chairman of the Milken Center for the Future of Aging, and uh, the the president, I think, and a gentleman by the name of Hugo Gerstel, and Hugo Gerstel is an attorney and he's still writes many books. He's written about three of them. And there was something that he said that I thought was very interesting and I've carried forward. And it's really kind of what you said about your sister and your mother. He was talking about men, but it really applies to both men and women. So he has this idea that men feel that they're really in their inside of themselves, see themselves as like in their late twenties or thirties in early adulthood. And that's where they are psychologically or emotionally inside of themselves. And I think there's an element of truth to that because I don't know, I'm 67. Hmm. What, what does it mean to feel like you're 60? What does that mean? I think that goes to what you just said about, what the expectations are. What are you supposed to be feeling? What are you supposed to be thinking? How are you supposed to be acting? I know that you and I had a conversation where I was saying that I took up ballroom dancing in my 60s and my children just could didn't seem to be able to deal with it. I can't talk about it. I can't mention it. I can't say how much I love it. Uh, so... I think they believe that in my 60s, dancing isn't something I really should be doing.
2: Mm, yeah. And you see, again, that's, um, it could be a form of ageism, or it just could be that the kids feel awkward about mom being a dancer. You know, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know because we haven't asked them. But, you know, I was, you know, we had this discussion before. I was talking about my own children who are in their early 20s who grew up as figure skaters. So they were exposed to ice dancing. So they're very interested in dance. And in the figure skating world, uh, especially in the past 15 years, I would say, um, Ice skating has become very diversified in terms of um, race and ethnicity, but also especially in age. So now we have an, a whole adult figure skating program sponsored by U.S. figure skating. I am an adult figure skater and was silver national medalist a few years ago, So and that's because of, of competing at adult national championships. So I became a national silver medalist. Um, and so my kids see this as, uh, you know, figure skating and especially ice dancing as something that covers all ages because Ooh. children start out just like in ballroom dancing. You start, you see children starting out at, at very young ages, you know, and then yeah, and then we go right up until I mean uh, the age. The age limits are there are no age limits. I, I don't believe in ice dancing I, I or took,
1: in in ballroom dancing. I took up uh, dancing when I was I would say I was sixty. I think it was I was sixty, and my first Argentine tango inspiration was a woman who was 70 and had taken it up just not too much earlier. And, and I've gone to dancing competitions. There are certainly people way, way at, an, at a, a more advanced age. I try not to use the word older, way at a more advanced age than I am. Maybe I should take up uh, ice dancing. Maybe my kids wouldn't mind that so much. I don't
2: know. <laughs> you never know. And and hey, I know what rink to go to, and I'll tell you who, which coaches you should meet. Oh. I'm telling you, it's because yeah, for in, in you know the figure skating world, you know it it goes you know from the very young age right up through people in their 70s and 80s still competing, um, and actually U.S. Figure Skating features people of all ages um, on their website so that you have an opportunity to showcase uh, what discipline you skate in, your age, where you're from, and like your motto. You know, some people say, you know, I fall down, but I always get up. Everybody has a motto. And it's wonderful um, the way that U.S. Figure Skating has been supporting everyone, you know, no matter what your age is and what your discipline
1: is, that uh, is- which
2: is fan- it's fantastic. So, so, yeah, you might want to look into ice you dancing. Know, you I'm,
1: never know. Very seriously do you think that now here's something that I'm going to say that probably has a little bit of an ageist uh, stereotype associated with it because I'm thinking, well, gee, ice skate. Now I did ice skate when my daughter, my daughter's 40. And when she was about two or three years old, or no, maybe when she was four and my son was born, I wanted to do something with her that was special. So we started ice skating together and mm-hmm. she took lessons. And then my son, when he got a little old, you know, older and, and was able to be on skates, we, we, we actually did skate for a little, little while, but you've skated your entire life. Mm-hmm. So is it different for somebody who's, I mean, you won silver nationals in, in a category of a person let's say in their fifties. And also, by the way, in ballroom dancing, it's the same, you compete by age category. So somebody in their, I think they had 60 to 70s and then 70 to 85, something like that. But for, I'm thinking for ice skating, because there may be a greater tendency to fall because you're skating rapidly across the ice. And of course, you you're, you're pro- in all likelihood, I shouldn't say of course, in all likelihood, you're not going to do, you know, a triple, a triple lutz. I mean, I used to follow (laughs) ice skating a lot. So I I know a lot of the jumps and terminologies. Is there a, a fearfulness for people who let's say have not ice skated their entire life like you, and who are taking it up later on in life? And then, because it's against ice because you're on a a thin blade. There's a greater tendency to fall and bones do become more brittle as you get older. So Mm. how do people feel about that if they're taking it up at a later stage of their life?
2: Yeah, it's true. When people take up skating as an adult, they are more aware and more fearful. Uh, Most people, Some, some are daredevils period. So, but the majority of folks go very carefully because they know that injury is, you were, it's much more difficult to recover and it takes longer to recover when you're older than when you're, you know, a child, obviously. So people do take it on very cautiously, but when they start skating on a regular basis and they start building their skills, they love it. You know, it's really dancing on ice. Mm. You feel like you're floating through the air. Mm. It is, You get a chance to display your creativity, whether you like to do, Dance to hard rock or classical music, you have your options. You're, it's wide open. So it's a very freeing experience. So I think. Yes, people that start to skate at an older age are much more careful and cautious. But, you know, with practice, they become more relaxed and really start enjoying themselves. And we encourage it at, you know, at my home club and my rink, we encourage the adult skaters to join, to participate, join the club, join. We have a theater on ice program. Ooh. We have uh, a synchronized, we have a couple of synchronized skating teams that they could skate on. So I'm on a master's team myself and we compete every year at NASA. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun and it really is a life sport as long as your hips and knees and ankles can take it. You can do it. I always tell everybody, there's a skater in everyone. And so it's true. People need to hear that. It's not based on age. A lot of sports people think they're ruled out of because of their age. Some people think that they can't bobsled anymore. They can't run a marathon anymore. And I have watched U.S. uh, track and field, and I love watching the master's programs because you see folks – of, of older ages just whipping around the track and winning. I mean, in such a victorious way, it's it's awesome to see. Even at the um, Ironman uh, events, Ooh. where you you know the. Um, triathlons, where they break you up by age group as well, and a lot of people feel like they're not ready for that, or that's something that they've aged out of, and it's not true. And and these are the kinds of things that I think society needs to hear more about and know more about. You know, hearing about the victories that people are having. Um, it's not just Jacqueline that was you right. know super. You know, it's the average guy, too, that people haven't met yet. You know, it's the it's the man who lives in Santa Clara, California, getting up, running 10 miles every morning in his late 70s Well, that
1: no one has met before. You know, interesting you say that because last night I was at a friend's house. She's in her early 50s and uh, the significant her significant partner is in his 60s. They've been together on and off for many, many, many years, and, she, and she's uh, in the healthcare field, and she made a comment to me. I, I was so surprised to hear her say it, which was, well, no, this was, I guess, her impression as a, as a person in younger years, that she never had thought that a person in their 60s or an older person would be able to be as active as her partner is. And he runs 10 miles on the weekends and he works out and does all of these things. And she never thought that that was possible. She never viewed people in their 60s or 70s in that way. This is a pervasive issue in our society, just as you're saying, that we have to depict people more who of, of advanced ages, doing things, engaging in society, engaging in activities. You know, we uh, before we started, I was telling you about these commercials that I've seen recently, and commercials mm-hmm. have become more diverse. There's something that researchers have uh, coined, which is visual ageism, which is how older people are uh, depicted in print ads, in magazines, in, in newspapers, and in television, in In commercials, in on television programs, in movies, and um, uh, this uh, particular—I lost my train of thought. Actually, this this particular. Oh yes, I was saying that uh, there have been commercials lately depicting older people, Mm -hmm. and in these two commercials that I've seen. Now, I'm not saying that I watch television all that much, or that I've seen all the commercials, but these two in particular jumped out at me. So there were these people, one was living with her husband, I guess it was her husband in some remote area someplace. And she was saying how they like to go out for walks in the morning and blah, blah, blah. Oh, there were three, there was another one who likes to work in her garden. And there was another one who also lives in some remote area. And she starts every day in her art studio. And those were all beautiful. However, Those people were still kind of segregated from society in a way. Those people were over there in the country, in their garden, in their art studio. They weren't really showing people part of society. Mm. They were still segregated. So it's about people in older communities and assisted living, in retirement communities, nursing homes, all those people over there. But how about showing people integrated in society with the rest of us? You had mentioned walking to the office with your briefcase on Wall Street or any place, right? Right,
2: right, absolutely. You know, and those are the visions that we, the visuals that we don't see that often on television. Right. Uh, we usually see our our folks of advanced age in what we what society expects us to see them in right. in their garden you know, taking their arthritis pill and <laughs> et cetera. Right. Um, and and really, I think that media needs to make the shift. And I think that it is. I think it's trying, just like we were talking about before, um, how we see different groups now being more featured on in the media. So you see more larger women on the lingerie ads. We're starting to see bi- more biracial couples uh, right. on the... Pampers ads, etc. Right. So, you know, I think that society is starting to make a shift, but they need to, yes, like you said, show folks of advanced ages, just doing regular everyday things, Correct. like taking the kids clothes after they come in from playing soccer and the socks are dirty and throwing it in to the wash using their tide. Right. You know, we need to see that. Right. Um, rather than just where we think they belong, right? You know, out like you said, out in the field on the farm, or you know, sitting by the lake, like uh, sitting on Golden Pond, <laughs> right?
1: Exactly. Or in the art studio doing retirement kind of activities. That's not showing them. it's showing that an active lifestyle, but it's not showing active lifestyle in the community at large in everyday society. And that's what we need to see. Why not show... Uh, a person in their 70s or 80s participating in the marathon because they they do. Actually, I think I saw something on LinkedIn recently that Catherine Switzer just finished her marathon and she's 75. Why not? I think it was that she's 75. Why not? If I misstated her age and I overstated it and she's offended, I apologize. But uh, the, the idea is, there are people in their 80s that are participating in marathons. Why not show people that are participating in active activity with other people That's of right. all ages right. and of all backgrounds? Right. The more people see these images, the more they will integrate them and realize that older people are part of our everyday lives and should be. They shouldn't be pushed aside because maybe they're not working at a job where they're at the job they had before or earning money in the way they did before. Although there's a statistic that says that most of the entrepreneurs of this country are 60 years and above people starting their own businesses. Oh, I like that.
2: Wow. I like that. That's good to know for us, right? That's good to
1: know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and many people embark on a whole different phase of their life after. And I didn't think about it this way, but I started to say, I, I guess in a way I'm doing that. So I worked as a speech pathologist in nursing homes for all of these years. The reason I stepped out of it was not for the reason that I'm thinking, which was, to embark on a different endeavor once I quote unquote retired, because I never think of myself as retiring. People say, somebody just asked me the other day, when are you going to retire? I said, well, I don't really get what that is. I don't, that's not something that I would embrace, but, (laughs) but the reality, I stepped out of it because I really wanted to advocate and, and help families and loved ones find better care options and understand the care options that are available and to advocate for uh, and become more informed advocates and a more effective advocates for their loved one's care. Because we all know that older adults don't always get the care they deserve. Hence the title of my book, uh, dignity and respect are aging parents getting what they deserve. So that's why I did it. But now thinking about it, I guess one could think and look at it as like I'm embarking on a different career path. From the traditional one I had all of my life as a speech pathologist. And why
2: not? Mm, yeah. Why not? Exactly. Why not? If you have the in, if you have the vision and you have the inspiration, why not act on it? You Correct. know, so many people live their lives going, oh, I thought one day I might do this, but I didn't get to it. Hey,
1: get to it. Right. right? Why not? Why right. not? So I think yeah. that's important for people to be able to see that. I do know there was a movie recently that came out. I think it was with Clint Eastwood and I want to say Meryl Streep, but I don't think it was Meryl Streep. And I didn't see the movie, but it was a couple clearly in their sixties or seventies going through some potential divorce. And you saw the, just from the clips that I saw the dynamic of after all of these years. And that is a real thing. There are many people who get divorced after 40 years of marriage, for whatever reason. I mean, I who knows? But I thought it was interesting that they made a movie about that, just that they made a movie about a golden pond, just like they made a, a movie about um, dementia, Where's Alice, which was a, a very mm-hmm. well-known movie. I think the more the, the movie industry or whatever that movie industry is now, whether it's Netflix or, or Amazon movies, it embraces that and makes more movies about that, it will enter people's consciousness that this is part of a national conversation. This is part of, it, it doesn't matter. What I love to say about this issue, you know, when we have things about AIDS or the opioids crisis or or breast cancer, it could always be about somebody else. Although you, in all likelihood, you know somebody in those categories, but could it could always be about somebody else. But right. this can never be about somebody else because we all have families with parents. That's right. That's it's going to touch The only way we all got here. That's we right. had somebody in our life, even it was a grandparent that helped care for us. And many grandparents do take on that role for whatever reason. There are many mm-hmm. different circumstances mm-hmm. why that happens. So we all have that. that it's really a, a human condition. It's really... And it affects every person, doesn't matter where you're from, what religion, how much money you have, where you live, where you went to school. Everybody has had parents. So exactly it's really a, mm-hmm. a global issue. It's, it's
2: yeah. you know, a social issue, really. It, it absolutely is. And that's why I think our topics need to be more highlighted. And like you said, right. the media is a, a major player in forming our stereotypes and our opinions about um, different age groups, and that we do need to see a lot more uh, representation of just day-to-day life, living, our participation, and, um, not just putting us in imagery of where you think we belong or where the stereotypes have boxed us into. Right. And um, I think, you know, these discussions are very important to have and that there are so many people doing so many positive things that could be inspirations and that this is like your show is such a positive effort because you're highlighting things you're highlighting these discussions and you're highlighting with guests to open people's eyes and inspire people and one thing for sure during this uh, pandemic more than ever we need inspiration Ah. We need inspiration
1: I agree. Thank you for that, by the way. I never thought of the show that way, but now that you say it, it's a nice way to think about it. Oh, yeah, yeah it's absolutely. about bringing informative conversations to seniors, their families, but the community mm-hmm. at large. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. sure people who listen to the show, not everyone is a baby boomer, 50 and above. Not everybody is an older person. I'm sure there are many people in their 20s and 30s who just realize the importance that, that older people have in our society because these are the people with the wisdom. The first okay. blog post I ever wrote was called The Wisdom Keepers. That, that's basically who older people are. They're the repositories of history exactly of wisdom. How do you pass that on? Yes, you could hit a search engine button and find out information, but it doesn't convey the richness of the experience. That's right. The, yeah, the story. It doesn't yep. convey the story. It can convey some information, and some people may be able to see that. They may be more visual. They may be able to absorb that, but not everybody can do that. Right. Yeah. So I, I yeah. think though those. That's why intergenerational programs are so important now, and they really are flourishing around the country. I am glad to see. Yeah, they are. They are, and it's it's great, because.
2: That's that's what we're we're having now in a lot of situations where you have your older generation taking care of your younger ones because parents are out working or just these two generations coming together, and it's it's
1: wonderful. And so it's nice to see a lot more uh, generational programs out there. Mm. Yeah. Well, Lynn, I have to say this has been absolutely terrific. I'm looking forward to the work we're doing uh, together at the beginning of the year. You continue to do wonderful work, so I'm so glad you were able to join me today during this very crucial time for a lot of people as, as we started the pandemic fatigue, mm-hmm. but it's also the holidays, holiday blues, Looking forward to the new year, what can we expect? If people want to reach you or uh, get more information about NCCDP programs, do you want to tell the listeners how they would be able to get that?
2: Sure. Um, I can be reached directly at NCCDP through my email, which is lynnn L-Y-N-N, at Wait, did I right, say that right? I'm sorry. I no, no, I, no, no. I, I misspoke. I was listening. I'm <laughs> sorry. I misspoke. But I, I, let me repeat myself. <laughs> My email is Lynn L Y N N at N C C D P dot org. I apologize, for that. Lynn at nccdp.org or you can go right to our website which is nccdp.org and, and phyllis I just want to thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate being able to participate and talk about all of these very pertinent topics like like pandemic fatigue, which is so important. And I want to thank you um, for in advance for participating in our caregiver series coming up on January 13th at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time via Zoom and people can log in to uh, register
1: for that at nccdp.org.
2: Thank you so much Phyllis.
1: Oh, thank you so much Lynn. It's always great to have a conversation with you. We really play off each other very well. We have similar ideas and passions and insights, so I always enjoy the conversation. So and the yeah, valuable work to here do is is incredible with NCCDP, which is now also an international um, organization. So it's ICCDP, the International Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners. Mm -hmm. And I I have to say, I've been so thrilled and honored that you have continued to publish my articles and my ideas uh, that I feel are important and important for the people who are members of NCCDP or anybody who could log in and, and read these articles. So I'm very appreciative of all of your support. Thank you. Because as I said,
2: you continue to inspire people. And so we are, we are proud to
1: showcase you and thank you so much. Well, thank you. So I will tell our listeners uh, that we're signing off now and to please join us for our next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more conversations for the senior years of our lives. Um, This is Phyllis Amon signing off and please remember to like, click and share our episodes. So until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned.
0: Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your hosts Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.